This is a regular meeting of the Small Business Commission held on January 10th, 2022. The meeting is called being called to order at 4.30 p.m. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGov TV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGov TV 2 or live streamed at sfgovtv.org. Members of the public who will be calling in, the number is 415-655-0001. Access code is 2497-349-5308. Press pound and then pound again to be added to the line. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you dial star three before public comment is called, you'll be added to the queue. When you are called for public comment, please mute the device that you are listening to the meeting on. When it's your time to speak, you'll be prompted to do so. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker unless otherwise established by the presiding officer of the meeting. An alarm will sound once the time is finished. Speakers are requested but not required to state their names. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. Today, we will begin with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. The Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, particularly at this time, you can find us online or via telephone. And as always, our services are free of charge. Before item number one is called, I'd like to start by thanking Media Services and SFGovTV for coordinating this virtual hearing and the live stream. Special thanks to Matthew Agnow, who will be running the meeting, and Matthew will be moderating the public comment line as well. Please call item number one. Item one, roll call. Call to order and roll call. Commissioner Dickerson. Present. Commissioner Huey. Here. President Laguana. Here. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Here. Vice President Zazunas. Present. President, you have a quorum. Thank you. Commissioner Huey, could you please read the Ramaytush Ohlone land acknowledgement? Thank you. Um, the San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Great, thank you. Item number two, please. Item two, welcome to Katie Tang, Executive Director, Office of Small Business. This is a discussion item. Katie, welcome. <laughs> it's so exciting. Uh, so before I make any comments, commissioners, do you have any comments you would like to make to 
Director Tang on her uh, first real hearing all by her lonesome. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Just wanna wish you the very best. We're excited to take this journey with you and we can't wait to work side by side and getting our economy back and roaring not not just you want it roaring roaring 20 so we're excited to take this journey with you thank you uh vice president Zazunas. thank you president Obama. welcome director tang uh i will echo that we we got a lot of work to do but i I think uh, you're very excited like we are of jumping right into it. Um, and yeah, welcome. And as we've said before, we're here as a, as a resource. And um, yeah, let's take 2022 and, and make San Francisco great again. <laughs> great. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Dickerson. It is so good to have you, Director Katie Tang. Uh, I'm excited because I uh, believe that you really are the best person for the job. And I look forward to working with you. And so far, um, I, I have I'm, I have all the trust and, and I believe that we are going to do this as a team. We're going to we're going to move the Small Business Commission forward and making sure we're advocating for these small businesses as they so well deserve. So welcome, Katie. Thank you. Commissioner Huey. Yes, welcome, Director um, Director Tang. And I'm still kind of like, it's so exciting to say that. Um, I'm really excited to get to know you. And so far, the chats that we've had have been really um, positive and have gotten me very excited about this coming year. And um, yeah, I'm happy to be, you know, at your service and be able to help support the Office of Small Business as I can. So um, thank you very much for choosing this um, this new journey. So thanks. Great. Uh, and I'll just add that uh, I think your experience at the San Francisco Department of Public Health could not be more apropos given the moment that the small business community is now in. Uh, and everything that you learn there uh, will uh, almost magically have tremendous salience here uh, and serve our community well. So um, along with the rest of the commission, I am very grateful uh, that you've chosen to join this journey with us. And uh, we are uh, very much all looking forward to working with you and, and already enjoying working with you. Uh, so. Um, thanks for being here and, and we're very happy to have you. And, and with that, I'll, I'll let you make any uh, remarks if you would like to. First, thank you so much, commissioners. Um, I, I mean, first of all, I wanna thank you all uh, and the mayor for this joint um, appointment to this opportunity. I have to say when I first um, heard about this opportunity, it was like this in my gut, in my heart, I knew it was the right um, uh, new opportunity for me because 
I've spent so many years working in city government, and I'd like to think that um, I'm one of those who likes to take what I've learned to try to do better for the city, for our small business community, but truly at the end of the day, for the people who want to spend time and energy in this incredible city. And I, I hope I'm not one of those who've you know, been in city government a long time and don't want to do anything or any, you know, make any changes, uh, but really want to use that experience and apply it for good. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm really preaching to the choir here to just say how incredible our small business community is in San Francisco. Our city would be lifeless without these businesses. And truly, I think as Commissioner Huey always says, it's really the people behind it. So I, I can't even begin to describe, you know, what small business, the impacts have had on each of us. I know we have lots of metrics, but really the impact is, is unquantifiable, truly. So, and, and getting to know each and every one of you, all of you have such an inspirational story behind you. I mean, now I could say this as the director of this uh, office that this is an incredible commission, uh, the best commission <laughs> to be able to work with in the city. So I am so lucky to be able to work with each and every one of you. Um, and uh, I think a lot of you know um, some of my work in the city, but just, you know, small business has been such a huge passion of mine and it led to things like um, trying to make it more, um, give businesses more flexibility in what they can do so that you can change between different uses if you needed to um, without having to go through an onerous process or removing fees that have been so burdensome. Uh, we did permanently waive the awning replacement fee so that it's every, uh, every year in May so that um, you know that, hey, this is coming up. You don't need to pay for it. You can replace your awning uh, without a permit fee. Um, you know, we have also tried to shave down the amount of time that a business has to go through the permitting process that's a lot of times unpredictable um, by removing some of the neighborhood notification and appeal process for businesses that already in our planning code permitted, right? It's a permitted use. So why is it that you have to go through all these different um, hurdles still? Um, and so, you know, I fully recognize that even though I come from a policymaking background, that a lot of the solutions that we are going to be implementing are not policy-based and in fact, probably best not to be policy-based sometimes. Um, and so I really look forward to working with you on those ideas. Um, but just to lay out really high level, big picture uh, for this upcoming year. Um, so I mentioned um, some of the solutions um, that we wanna put forth that may not be policy-based. But I want to make sure first and foremost that we as a commission and an office that we're working together to be proactive so that we are, you know, you have all the expertise in the world, you know what's going on in the business community. Um, and so how do we come up with um, some solutions um, actively? And although I know we're in a really challenging time with the pandemic and we have to focus on economic recovery, I think it's no secret um, that prior to the pandemic, it's always been difficult for small businesses to either get started, to grow, expand, um, what have you here. And so I want to make sure that we're, we're also drilling back down to things that were challenging before the pandemic um, in addition to, to this recovery phase that is, um, uh, that is critical. Um, the second um, big um, sort of ticket item is I want to make sure that we are improving access for people seeking services from our Office of Small Business. So whether it's through the internet, in person, on the phone, or at the permit center, 
um, I want to make sure that it's easy for everyone um, to be able to access um, anything that they need. Um, want to improve our language capacity on the team um, that is providing that direct um, case management or client service. Um, and then also providing more sort of real-time uh, information that, um, that are really helpful for the small business community. And then um, the third pillar is um, efficiency. So given that um, the Office of Small Business, the staffing is so um, you know, small, frankly, it's a small but mighty team, and I definitely want to thank, um, I know Rick is here. I want to thank um, our commission secretary, of course, Carrie, Carol, Martha, Ria, um, so many before them as well, who have just done a phenomenal job carrying this office. Um, again, serving the entire city, but so, uh, you know, single digit in number. And so how is it that we uh, work together actually in a more collaborative manner with our Office of Economic and Workforce Development uh, so that we can um, all serve small businesses uh, to their best of our abilities and have uh, truly impactful and meaningful programs. So um, those are sort of the three foundational pieces that I'm looking forward to working on in 2022, but I know there's going to be lots in between. So uh, again, thank you so much. And I'll, I'll leave it there and turn it back to you, uh, President Lubana. Thank you. And uh, that all sounds very exciting. Uh, certainly a lot to do. And I hope uh, that as a commission, uh, we can be a, a, a great partner in helping make all, all those things happen. That is not a short list of stuff to do. <laughs> uh, so with that uh, being said, uh, let's check in. Is there any public commenters on the line? I see one attendee, but I'm not sure if he's. If you have called in to make public comment, please hit uh, star three, I think it is, to raise your hand, star three. We'll give them a, a couple seconds to raise their hand, and if they don't, then we'll. Assume. Oh, sorry, I need to, hang on. This is, I need to pass the uh, responsibility over to SFGov so they can actually do this. Hold on one second. No problem. Okay. I think they should be able to do it now. Okay. SFGov TV, uh, has the commenter or has the attendee raised their hand? If not, we'll proceed. There are no colors in the queue. Okay. Thank you. Uh, seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, next item, please. Item three, Board of Supervisors, file number 211151, Public Works Code, Graffiti Abatement, lifting suspension of issuance of certain violations, reinstating collection of certain fees and fines. This is a discussion and action item. Commission will discuss and may take action on ordinance lifting the suspension of certain provisions of the graffiti removal and abatement ordinance regarding issuance of certain violations and reinstating the collection of certain assessed fees and fines and affirming the planning department's determination under CEQA. Presenting today, we have Lee Hepner from Supervisor Peskin's office and Jimmer Cassiel from the Department of Public Works. Great, uh, thank you both of you for coming. Lee, it's good to see you. Uh, the floor is now yours. Great. Thank you, Commissioners. Thank you, Commission President Laguana. Thank you for hearing this item this afternoon. Um, welcome, Director Tang. It's good to see you in the new year. Um, 
the legislation before you is really straightforward. It's simple. Uh, essentially, um, uh, certain provisions of the public's work, public works code were suspended uh, um, at the uh, onset of the pandemic or, or pretty early on in the pandemic related to graffiti abatement. Um, I think we can all speculate as to why uh, it would be a challenge to abate graffiti uh, at the height of the pandemic uh, when people were subject to stay at home orders uh, and uh, the fear of going out outside was uh, was palpable. Uh, businesses were closed down. Uh, we are certainly um, not out of the pandemic, but certainly in a different spot, uh, different position um, now. And uh, uh, we are also uh, back to hearing from our constituents uh, about unabated graffiti uh, out in the neighborhoods. Uh, in conversations with public works staff, uh, we have been told uh, without uh, qualification that they do not have the ability to issue notices uh, to um, offending parties uh, or property owners uh, to to alert them to the fact that there is graffiti on their property. Um, and that is the principal thrust behind what uh, we are trying to reinstate today. Um, I wish there was one thing that was included uh, before you and which I'm going to make sure is in the legislative file going forward, which is the uh, language of the provisions themselves, the public work code sections that were suspended, uh, sections 2304A, uh, 2306, and 2307.5, I believe. And the reason I think it's important to take a look at the actual code sections is because what this appears as is that we are reinstating fines and fees. Um, what it doesn't reflect is what the code actually says relative to the procedure that Public Works engages in. And perhaps Jimmer can shed some light on this as well. But really what this is and what Public Works' role is, is to send out a notice to one of two parties, the property owner or the quote-unquote offending party, if they are known. The offending party, uh, as far as I know, is never the small business. The offending party is the person who has uh, 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 who has done the graffiti So um, uh, and would also be responsible for its abatement if that party is known. So Public Works sends out that notice to the property owner or the offending party who then have 30 days to address the graffiti uh, or to request a hearing before the city. Um, I suspect and and in my conversations with public works staff uh, have confirmed that there is flexibility there. And as long as a party is working toward abatement, uh, that the jump is never toward aggressive enforcement or the subsequent actions that are listed in the code, which uh, can involve uh, public works going out there and um, abating the graffiti themselves. Um, uh, so it really is kind of a, hey, notice to the property owner offending party that there's graffiti on your property and you got an obligation to clean it up. Um, uh, so um, that is the thrust behind what we're doing here. I'm interested to hear your all thoughts. Our intent uh, with this legislation is not to reinvent the wheel, though I guess since we're here, if there are uh, good recommendations, uh, we're happy to consider them and we'll be meeting with Public Works around whatever the Small Business Commission recommends today. Great. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't know if, if uh, Jim wanted to make a presentation or pr present any comments as well. Hey there. Um, are you talking about me? Uh, hey, hello, everybody. Hi. Hello, Director Tang. I know her as Supervisor Tang, but uh, congratulations on your new position. 
Um, basically, I'm just here to answer any questions. If you have questions, I work at Public Works, but I work in um, slightly different department. I'm kind of like the facilitator, recording secretary for the Graffiti Advisory Board. So I know a lot of the information about what goes on with the private property and the notices of violation and cleaning it up. Uh, but the two individuals that are actually directly involved, their work schedule is Tuesday through Saturday. So they're not here today, but we're going to be meeting with them on Wednesday uh, to come back to them with any questions that were like not, I was not able to answer. Uh, if you have any questions that I can't answer, we can get back to you with the answer, but I don't want to make up answers and I don't want to assume things because um, it's, a, it's a lot of detail involved in what happens there. Um, I know a lot about it because of the Graffiti Advisory Board and my position over here at Public Works. So great. Thank you. And um... I guess uh, before I jump in with my questions, I'll check in with my fellow commissioners. Do you have any uh, questions or comments? Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Hey, thank you Lee for that. And um, what, one of the things I, I definitely wanted uh, as we as we start this again, um, definitely, and this might not be the case, but the way we perceive it on the ground, like in the mission and the Bayview, um, the tone, the tone of these, these um, these abatements sometimes sound punitive in nature and are, are scary, especially if, you know, English is not your first language. It, it really has a, a scary tone, even for me, you know, like, and I could read English and all that. And, you know, I've been in the game, been around the block a couple of times. So I, I definitely wish um, we can change the model and, and have some empathy, our small businesses. You know, we've been battered, obviously, for the last two years. And and even if it's the same message, but if the tone comes from a place of understanding, I think that that process would go a long, long, long way. And having some dialogue, because, you know, sometimes it's the business owners that receive them, even if they're not responsible. And I think sometimes the communication is like, it's the small business responsibility when sometimes it's not, or it's not, but, you know, perception is reality. So the, the, the tone, the atmosphere of like, hey, we're not here to mess with you. We're here to actually help you. That for me would be like the greatest takeaway. I, I will definitely bring that up with them, um, with the team. I, I think you're talking about like the notice of violation letter that they receive. Yeah, okay. Um, I've heard that before. <laughs> so I'll definitely bring that up with them. Um, as far as the responsibility, it is the um, property owner's responsibility or the manager, if it's a business and it's not the, the business is not the owner of the building, the, um, the notice would probably go to the owner of the building to then get it to whoever is running the business down there. But um, it is the responsibility of the property owner, just like the uh, sidewalk. Uh, Public Works is curb to curb, so we're the street. And then from the sidewalk to the building is the property owner or the facing property. Um, and I understand what you're saying about the, the tone that's involved in that. And I, again, I've heard that before. I don't know what's ever been changed of it. Again, I'm not that closely involved, but I'll definitely bring it up. I'll have to pull up a copy of what the letter that they get. Um, we have a different deputy director now. Um, so, and, and just mind you, you know, in theory, yeah, it goes to the property owner and the property owner is ultimately responsible, but you know what happens in the real world. Yeah, yeah, they don't get it to the person that's so supposed to get it. Business that is yeah. confronted and gets the heck from the property owner. So, like, yeah, in theory is one thing, but what really happens on the ground, you know, sure. if they can change up the tone, you know, and work with us, 
you know, have a little patience, like a doctor, have to have patience with us. Yeah, well, and we've already, I, as far as my point of view, I've already looked at this. I've been looking at this as like, it's the business owner that's getting like double hit. They're getting hit by the tags and then they're getting hit by the city to remove the stuff with slightly, almost like you said, threatening type language. Um, I'll see what we can do about that and get something done, hopefully, to make it a little bit softer. The goal is basically just get rid of the graffiti as quickly as possible because we've learned that the quicker you get rid of it, the less likely they are to come back because the graffiti vandals, they want their tag to be up high and they want it to last as long and be seen as by, by as many people for as long as possible. So best thing to do for these property owners is keep a can of the color. And in the morning, if they come in, see it, just abate it before we even get out there to do a notice violation. I know. I know. Unfortunately, I used to graffiti when I was like 12, got caught. Ah. Get <laughs> Do you know the difference between um, graffiti vandalism and graffiti art? It's one word. Yeah. Yeah. Permission. Exactly. Permission. Oh. <laughs> if you have permission to use the canvas, it's art. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Huey. Um, thank you very much for the presentation. I just wanted to kind of echo what Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena was saying um, in terms of like my experience with business owners and, um, you know, organizing within a merchants association is that none of these business owners want to have graffiti on their businesses. Like this right. is not something that they are being, you know, right. lazy about or numb to. I mean, it is something that really does bother business owners. And, um, and so, you know, I've, I think in this particular environment, if we're really trying to pave the path for small businesses right now, this is one little thing that the city could do, I think, to really um, change the image of what, you know, how supportive the city is of small businesses. Because it's like we can give out so many grants and do all these things, but then it's like then a business owner gets hit with a fine for a piece of graffiti that has is just chronic, right? And I think when we're not able to bend in those ways, that's like something that will sit with that business owner, right? It's like they're, because in order for them to get a grant or be able to find money to mitigate this, they also have to spend extra time to then apply for that grant and, you know, seek out these types of opportunities. So I think, you know, for us in this middle, for us as a commission in this middle space, it's like we can spend all our day trying to create opportunities for um, supporting small businesses, but then if our systems and policies that are existing continually, chronically, kind of like beat people down, it's like we're we're not really doing ourselves any favors, you know. And so I think I think um, if there were ways to be able to support a small business through this, if we really want to look at graffiti abatement being kind of the goal, you know, how do we support our community to be able to manage this on their own in a sustainable way? I think then we should lead with something that is much more supportive in nature versus punitive in nature. And that might mean just completely overhauling what that initial contact looks like. So, you know, I would, I would suggest that we consider ways that we can reach out to a business owner highlight that 
the city or somebody has noticed that there's graffiti on their property, how can we help support getting rid of that graffiti for you? And also like for us to be able to understand as business owners, like what happens to the the tagger? What happened? Like what are what is happening in our community right now where it's like I'm just constant, you know, the expectation that I'm gonna have a can of paint and go out and not only, you know, sweep my sidewalk, you know, hose it down or whatever, take out all my bins, put out all this stuff at like five in the morning, do all these things, make sandwiches, then I gotta go do all these things, and I gotta go clean up graffiti. Like I literally I feel like, you know, if I could at least have some understanding, and maybe this is a question that you might be able to answer, is that like what actually happens to hold people accountable for like chronically graffitiing an area? Because I know, you know, the same taggers will come through. We've taken tons of photos of of tags. We have a whole Google Drive of graffiti in our neighborhood in the Richmond district. And, you know, it's the same tag going down the street, but it's like what's what's going to happen of that. So I think like kind of sharing with the small business community that there are efforts to to kind of do something about it versus just expecting us to kind of clean it up every day. Right. I think that would be helpful. Okay. And I, I, if I, if I may, Commissioner Huey and Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena, one point of clarification um, is that under the law as written, I don't think that the small business owner is ever liable for the graffiti. Uh, just to be clear, uh, the the only mention there in the in the law is that when the notice of violation is served. It is served on the property owner, uh, the offending party, which is the person who did the graffiti, if that person is known, and uh, the person or uh, the person, if known, in real or apparent charge or and or control of the premises. And I think that that's that last category is where it might be served on the small business, but in no circumstance is the, is the small business themselves liable to the city. Now, to Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena's point, I think how that plays out between the property owner and the small business um, can be complicated and and problematic. Further, I think what both Commissioner Huey and Ortiz Cartagena said was that the notice itself coming from the city, if it's served on the small business owner, makes them feel like they are the party responsible. Uh, and maybe there is a communication piece uh, in the implementation of this that Jimmer and I can go back to the department and, and revisit. Uh, just to, sorry, just to speak to that narrow point just briefly. Um, I, I would want to point out that most, many if not most small businesses are operating under a triple net lease, which makes them liable and responsible for any cost that the building incurs, which I mean, in some cases can include, <clears throat> for example, I've had to pay for AC systems going out, broken windows, um, other vandalism and, and damage. So, uh, and, and, and even as a practical matter, outside of the triple net leases, from my own conversations with other small businesses, uh, it's typically pretty common for, uh, I would say it is uncommon for the landlord to pick up the cost of any violations or abatement that it would be uh, 
less likely for that to happen and more likely that it would be expected for the business to do so, whether the city actually holds the business directly liable or not. Um, so I just, I wanna make that point while we were on that subject. Uh, Commissioner Huey, were you done? Um, I just one more point. I think Please. is that in the past, what we've seen is that, um, you know, graffiti and things like that have been dealt with. Um, I, I'd like to say graffiti and then specifically like etchings for on windows and like other types of vandalism, um, just because that's been a, a huge problem for us um, in, in a couple of the districts that I'm um, a part of. And I, I think we've seen that certain areas in the city get a much more punitive kind of response when it comes to graffiti versus other districts. Like when, you know, in the Richmond district, when we were hit with all sorts of things, we were, um, I, I would say we felt pretty well supported in terms of like, um, you know, people could talk about it. We tried to put like a, a Google Drive together of all the different photos, the police um, were very supportive. Like nobody really got hit with any fines or anything like that. But then speaking to other merchants and other neighborhoods, you know, they were hit with fines right away when something happened. And there was no like conversation about it. There was no community discussion about how to support their business through the situation. And I feel like that type of, you know, disparity is something that should be looked at. I mean, this is symptomatic of other types of disparity, but I think this is one thing where we know it's different in different neighborhoods in terms of the response. So what does that mean? And I, I just urge us to not let that go because this is such a tangible kind of example of different things being levied in different places. Right. And um, so that's, I think that's, Oh, is it if, okay if I jump in here for just a minute? Um, I wanted to answer, um, and Lee, what what you were saying earlier, I believe what happens as far as fines or penalties, actually what happens is the notice of violation goes out first, and I believe the um, property owner or the business has 30 days to abate. If they don't abate in 30 days, um, and usually if they abate, they're supposed to report that they've abated it to the city. If they don't, then an inspector will go back out after the 30 days. And if it's still there, that's when it becomes blight. And then they have 15 more days to abate once it becomes blight. If they don't abate it at that time, it is then that I believe the city can hire a contractor or go ahead and abate it themselves. And what the owner of the business or the property owner gets is the bill for the abatement cost along with the inspections like the cost of the inspector going out there from what i understand and then there's this hardship program uh they have a hearing i believe every month that people that get um these these fines or charges they go through this hardship and from what i understand from those they're pretty much worked out with the property owner and the department as far as how to get you know through it or buy it um, one of the things you mentioned was, you know, trying to make it easier. I know that we have a, um, we have a paint matching system. So even if it's like going out there and matching the paint of the building and handing them some paint, some supplies, uh, cause I run the graffiti watch program, which is basically volunteers that we give them an hour training. They adopt like a four block area and we give them all the supplies they need, the paint brushes, the paint, um, we do the training 
but they're they're only allowed to abate public property, the garbage cans. Um, you know, we were we were able to do mailboxes, but then we couldn't do them anymore. But that's all up in the air still. The mailboxes are horrible. Those are like the post office just doesn't do anything about abating it. Um, but so I, I see it as being almost the same thing, except it's the property owner. Now, property owners could have a graffiti watch member abate on their property, but they would have to supply the uh, graffiti watch, watch member with the paint and the supplies. It can't be like city funded. And um, they have to sign an agreement with the property owner and the graffiti watch member. But I think we, we should be able to, and this is what I'm trying to bring up to the, um, the, the property, private property graffiti unit is we have this paint matching machine from what I understand, we should be able to, you know, match the paint. We did it a couple of times up in um, Chinatown with the roll up doors. There was this big wipeout that we would have every year and we would give the business owners like a, a can of gray paint so that they could get the graffiti off of the doors. Luckily those doors are basically open all day long and they just come down at night. But, um, and then people were complaining about, the thickness of the paint when you're painting over and over the same door, well, then it starts getting hard to open and close and it gets really heavy. So there's issues with that as well. As far as on um, the, the, in the windows, the etching and the, the acid, I guess they do some sort of acid type thing. Um, I don't think we actually pursue that as far as forcing people to get it abated because a lot of times they have to replace the windows, which is very expensive. So from what I understand, a couple of years ago, we were not doing notice of violations for the windows. And, you know, being on the graffiti advisory board, one of the best things to do that we think is um, put a coating on the window. It's like it's like this coating that you put it on. They etch it. You can take it off, put a new coating on. It's a lot simpler than replacing a window. And I have seen businesses that have that. On walls, there's what they call... Um, anti-graffiti coating it's basically a clear paint so if somebody does tag basically soap and water washes it right off um there's there's one building over at uh 22nd and i'd say Folsom they did this beautiful mural it's a store it's on the corner the whole building is this really cool mural and one day i drove by it and the whole thing was just tagged but I knew it was covered with the anti-graffiti coating. And the next day it was gone. They just went out there with the hose and got it off. And, you know, you don't see that being tagged constantly. But right across the street, that building, as soon as they paint it, the whole thing's tagged that night. You know, so um, I will bring it up on Wednesday with Lee and the other um, folks from the department about, you know, how to uh, more, like I said, I, I understand these property owners, these business owners, they're victimized twice, once by the vandal and then by the city coming after them and saying, get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of this. So I'm, what I'm hearing is the goal is to make it like, like we're more here to help, not here to be on top of you and, you know, strangle you when you're already hurting from this past two years. So I get it. Uh, we just need to get it over to them and make sure that they get it as well. Um, and I totally agree with what you're saying in that part. Anything else, Lee? I, I think that's a really, I mean, it, it goes to show that public works staff is, is really thinking through these things on a constant basis and constantly trying to improve the processes. And I think the openness to that is key. Um, and, and what this ordinance does is just kicks in their ability to keep on uh, keeping on with that abatement process. Right. Plus the years of being on the, you know, the facilitator for the graffiti advisory board, 
I've learned so much about graffiti, more than you could possibly imagine. Um, and, and it's just, um, you know, murals. We love murals. And, uh, you know, they often don't get tagged. It's often a, 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 a deterrent. Often, not always. Sometimes you'll get some little monster that'll just, like, tag up all the murals like they did in the mission that one time. Um, 20-year-old murals destroyed. But, yeah, so, again, I don't work in that department with the, the, uh, the public-private property team, but the Graffiti Advisory Board, I work really closely with them. Great. Uh, <clears throat> Vice President Sazunas. Thank you. Um, thank you, Lee and, and uh, Jimmy, for being present and uh, working with us on this item. I wanted to point out that in Public Works Code Article 23, where it covers um, these options for graffiti abatement, there, there's language that doesn't match up or isn't present on the actual notice. And I think um, if you look at the actual notice, there's two options given, one and two. One is you have to call and report that you've abated it, or mm -hmm. two, request a hardship hearing. There's no details about what um, that hardship hearing um, requires or what uh, a potential result of that hearing is. Um, it does say that you have to show up in person. That's right. the only thing that it says about that hearing on the notice. The second option given is if you don't abate it within 30 days, the city will uh, proceed with a court order and a lien on your property. Those are the only two options on the notice. So um, that's, that's on the notice. That's yep. on the, okay. Yep, yep, yep. And um, so yeah, details making the hearing sound like an actual viable option, I think would be a, an improvement here. Um, showing up in person for a small business owner is impossible nearly. Right. Um, and um, yeah, the, the threat of a court order and lien, um, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a, that doesn't seem to be like necessary as your first notice to, to tell them you're gonna give them a lien. Right. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, I so, so that's that's just pointing out the notice. Like I said, um, in public works code, there is mention of the, the option of paint provided, and there is um, language that says if the hearing, um, if it's determined so, then the city will cover and paint it at no cost. Again, neither of those options or that language is in the, the notice. Okay. Um, that's my first point. Um, oh, the second point is um, there's not a second notice. So even if there is a follow-up, like somebody forgot to abate it or uh, report they abated it or whatever, um, if there is um, a follow-up by the department, the business isn't notified. They're just given a, um, that fine. So that's just another, I mean, I've, my family's business has experienced this. So this is just, I'm validating that this is what happens in pro um, practice as well. Um, and something that I would um, love to better understand, and I know um, this might be a little outside of um, this particular graffiti code that we're looking at, but graffiti does exist. Graffiti abatement and nuisance abatement for graffiti exists in other codes on our 
books. So there are some businesses that are faced with this abatement fine like three times over with different codes. So if you have an off-sale alcohol license, for example, like a type 2021, 20, um, which mind you now restaurants and bars are allowed to sell off-sale without being subject to the deemed approved off-sale um, codes, which include graffiti. So you can have, you can have a, um, a violation um, with another code on our book related to graffiti, right? And the reason why that is um, worrisome for me is because we need to be aware of the other um, ways in which people can get pings for graffiti. And also these codes are, were literally made at the height of gang injunctions. They include calls from uh, incoming calls from pay phones, like nuisance abatement fees beyond graffiti um, and tangential to graffiti exist in other codes and have been even called upon in the last year to have disproportionate um, um, regulation on businesses that are subject to those codes. For example, there um, at the height of the shutdowns, there was a six supplemental um, order um, from the mayor's office which specifically put a curfew on all deemed approved subject businesses, um, which have type 2021 20, off sale um, alcohol licenses with an exemption, with an exception for businesses over 5,000 square feet. So essentially a graffiti code was used to shut down small stores during the height of when people needed those um, businesses open in neighborhoods that don't have big stores. And so I'm scared that if we just are blase about our existing abatement codes, they're going to be used as a form of criminalization of certain types of businesses and certain types of communities, which we've already seen in the last year. So that leads me to the other question as to why I feel like there's equity issues around this that have not been seriously looked at um, is because Again, my family's business happens to be in a newly formed CBD, Community Benefit District. So we had the, the privilege of being able to say, hey, can you guys cover this really quick? What about businesses that are not in CBDs? That's a disproportionate regulation already. Um, so that's, that's um, yeah, those are, those are my questions. Um, and I had one more question. Because I know, like, there are other stakeholders, small um, <laughs> businesses in this conversation. Um, so, the Graffiti Advisory Board is one. SF Beautiful, I believe, is another. Um, I'm just like curious as to, um, you know, if there's other stakeholders, like nonprofits or whatnot. I want to know if those entities, like SF Beautiful, are they city funded? Um, like, if there's advocacy coming from city funded groups um that's you know trying to enforce something on a small business i would like to know um so that was that's just kind of another question i'm throwing out there um okay yeah thank you so much sf beautiful so uh, just so i understand that part of the question um sf beautiful are they city funded and are they doing something to try and enforce I'll, I'll kind of explain that a little more. Um, so I heard you have Graffiti Watch. You named one stakeholder. Um, that's, a that's a volunteer program with Public Works. Right. So, so Deemed Approved has a similar volunteer program where they go, they um, empower volunteers to literally go and 
report on small businesses. So um, I, I've seen that those people have been mistrained before. Like I've seen uh, businesses um, been told um, misinformation from volunteers that are that are being, um, in, you know, uh, as part of a supplemental of a city program or, or party to it. So I'm just curious as to like if there's stakeholders that are beyond DPW, beyond small business, if they're nonprofit, if they're volunteer, like who who are they? How are they funded? What type of training are they getting? Because um, there's there's a lot of those types of um, volunteer groups that are connected to largely businesses that have regulatory licenses. They like to you know like deploy volunteer sting operations, <laughs> and and we've um, we've definitely gotten small businesses who are confused as to like if someone is a volunteer or a staff. Um, that is like approaching them about a program. Okay. Um, I, I, and I'm sorry, I just want to be able to understand this because yeah. the, um, the the thing that you're talking about, there's a group of people that are going out and actively reporting graffiti on businesses and stuff. Did you, is that what you said? Um, I would like to know that. Um, you mentioned that there is something that, that is like that. I'm, I'm making another example that with uh, another code that I know for sure has graffiti involved, the deemed approved off-sale use code. Right. There's also a group of volunteers that um, is deployed to like go, you know, if there's graffiti or loitering to report that business to DPH in this um, example. And those volunteers have definitely provided misinformation to small businesses before. Okay. Um, or not like, you know, it's not a it's not a very nice community initiative if it's like how do we snitch on your local business instead of like right. relationships with the corridor. So yeah, I'm, I'm not... curious as to like who oversees those, um, you know, any nonprofit or like volunteer adjacent work to this. Yeah, that one that you just mentioned, if they're reporting for DPH because of I mean, that might be a DPH thing. Um, just so I'm clear, the graffiti watch program that I run. This is not for reporting. This is basically for volunteers to go out and abate graffiti on public property okay. um, in, instead of it. Because we're responsible, too, for public property. And we don't get notice of violations, but we want to get the, uh, the graffiti off or abated as quickly as possible. So the volunteers that I have, they're basically being trained to adopt an area. And if they see graffiti vandalism on public property, they can't do private property public property they have the paint the equipment to abate it as quickly as possible okay so that actually leads to the other the last question i had about graffiti and other codes and how it's handled so we know deemed approved it's under dph and police that graffiti is listed in parklets and shared spaces i understand now are handling um this kind of separately mm -hmm. so i do feel like that's relevant because if businesses that can afford a shared space are getting preferential treatment on how graffiti is handled as opposed to a brick and mortar retail that doesn't have a parklet that's an equity issue for me too and just on that last point what uh, what's your experience with um businesses with shared spaces being treated differently w covers it up for um it's a different it's a completely different it. way of handling graffiti and i would just like to know how that's I, Got it. I heard differently. I heard that it is the responsibility of the owner of the um, shared space if there's a 
piece of property that's put up or something that's put up where there used to be parking spaces. Uh, I, cause I was asking about it as well, because uh, I work with a, we work with a local artist who's on the graffiti advisory board who does murals and in the mission, these things are getting tagged and it's the responsibility from what I understood and things are changing quite quickly, but I just recently received a whole new booklet on the, um, on the shared spaces, but I believe it's the person that owns the shared space that paid for the shared space. It's for their business. They're, they're um, responsible for the graffiti vandalism on there as well, just as if they're, it's on their building. Um, and I was trying to look at a way that maybe we could, the city could help fund uh, painting murals on these things to try and stop the graffiti vandalism. But if it's just painted like brown or black, that's like a canvas for these taggers. Um, and if there's a mural, so I'm still kind of looking into how we might be able to do that. Um, but as far as I know, it is the property owner or the permit holder that's responsible for those as far as graffiti vandalism. I, I did want to, you know, it's anecdotal information, but I did want to add to that, which was uh, I had a was walking down the street and had a conversation with Emmy from Emmy's Spaghetti Shack. And she yeah. was out uh, painting over some uh, or scrubbing off some graffiti that was on her shared space. Um, and she did relay to me, I don't know whether this is accurate or not, but this is uh, what her experience was. She said that the city would send somebody through to paint over the graffiti on the shared space. And she had an issue with that uh, because sometimes they would do it very quickly before she had a chance to handle it herself. And she did not uh, agree with the uh, the technique or the color that was uh, being used. And, and that was what I understood her, her complaint to be. So uh, I'm, <clears throat> I, I guess we can look more into that, but I, I do want to remind the commission that the item before us today is whether or not there will be fines reinstated. Um, and Jimmer, what I think would be maybe be helpful, uh, perhaps we could have DPW come back at a later date. Sure. Uh, the commission did introduce a resolution in, uh, I believe it was either December or January of 2021. And uh, some of these things that we're now talking about uh, were in our recommendations to DPW at that time. Uh, and I can have Carrie Ford that. Uh, resolution to you, and I, th I think it'd be wonderful to have you come back and talk about some of these issues, but I do want to make sure that we stay on point here with respect to uh, the item that's in front of us. Um, so, uh, Commissioner Ortiz-Cartagena, I saw you were next. Um, two things. One, I had a question that resulted in a response that you had with the dialogue with um, Commissioner Huey. Um, the mailbox, USPS, so does the city find the post office, like they find small business, do they send those notices? Like, are it's, we making our money off? That's a, a that's an extremely great question. Um, I cannot tell you how much time and involvement I had with the post office with those mailboxes. Even the post office buildings are tagged. The post office vehicles are tagged. It's a government agency. So if we do send them the notice of violation, it basically gets ignored. So I tried working with them. We used to be responsible for abating the graffiti on the mailboxes. We had the paint, still do, um, for the green and the blue. And what happened was um, <clears throat> they stopped. I mean, they, they 
they were getting they were paying like 50 cents on the dollar for us to abate and we would send them the bill every like month or whatever and then um i think it was in 2008 when things got kind of rough uh they decided to end that contract they said they would take it in and do it themselves and just to give you a little history so it's from 2008 for many years these mailboxes i would report them to 311 and nothing would ever happen it would get closed out well, finally, it got to a point. There was a new postmaster in San Francisco. Got to a point where we got to meet with her. Her name was Raj. And um, she was determined to make sure that the post office did what they needed to do to make sure that the graffiti was abated. And they were also willing to have 311 connect directly to their... They could have access to the 311 um, system so that they could close things out. They're going to abate by themselves, and then they're going to close it out. Before that wasn't happening, I think 311 held on to it for so long and then would close it out after a certain time because there was no system put into place. And they were they were telling the po- or they were reporting it to the post office, but it was going into a big black hole. It was going somewhere over to the East Coast, and then maybe it would make its way back as far as maintenance. I learned a lot <laughs> through these meetings. So we got them hooked up with the 311 system. They were abating. She promised that this would be done. It was happening within 24 to 48 hours. These things were being abated. That postmaster went down to San Jose and a new postmaster came in and it was, it's back to basically where we were. There there were over 4,000 open cases of graffiti vandalism. But to answer your question, uh, the post office doesn't pay. It's a government agency. And so, so they can get fined, but small business can. Right. Um, yeah, it, it has something to do with the federal government. Commission that's actually written into the law. Is it? Yeah. All right. Um, and then to um, just commenting on, yeah, the shared spaces, yeah, that's the responsibility of the whoever got the permit. And right. that's been the, the biggest confrontation I had during the pandemic with shared space graffiti, you know, and, and doing a mural, especially since the... Um, since the ordinance was changing during the pandemic, it's costly, right? And, and you know, you have to redo them and all this. So, again, having that empathy and, and you know, don't come with the punitive tone would be greatly appreciated, Jim. And, you know, I, I know, you know, I'm just a messenger, but just so you know, you know. And and, what's, and just another curiosity, back in the 90s, they had, like, the Brush and Broom Brigade. I remember when I got caught, I was, like, 12. I had to go to Muni, and I spent my whole summer cleaning buses. So, like... I don't know if that happens anymore. Like if you get caught tagging or you're a tagger, you got to go like do some real community service. There was a, there was a program, the JAWS program that was created by officer. um, It was before officer Ferreira, but officer Ferreira took it over. He was the graffiti cop. Mm -hmm. Um, He would take um, youth out on weekends to abate like bridges and stuff. Um, So there was the, there's the JAWS program. But, and we, we also worked with, um, oh gosh, what's it called? It's, it's where they are the P20, where they work off tickets and stuff. We were working with P20. They were a, basically a graffiti watch member, um, Devin. And he was also on the graffiti advisory board where he would take folks out and they could work off like their tickets and stuff, abating graffiti. So there were some programs like that helped dealing with that. Um, as far as now, um, I'm, I'm fairly just new back to public works. I was over at the mayor's office for a couple of years and then, um, COVID hit 
And so, um, and I'm just getting back into this now as of September. So I'd have to look. Our first graffiti advisory board meeting is supposed to be on Thursday of the year. And um, there's going to be lots of things to talk about because I've been gone for like up Great. two years. We, why don't we talk about that when we have you back? Okay. Uh, because, uh, you know, I think we do need to focus on the legislation at hand. Uh, Commissioner Ortiz uh, Cartagena, did you have any other questions? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, Lee, first, I want to uh, acknowledge that there are uh, a number of different items that have to be balanced here. And I, I, I understand and respect where the supervisor is coming from with respect to your constituents uh, and uh, blight. And I, I will also uh, say that there is a small business interest naturally, and of course, in making sure that we don't have uh, our neighborhoods uh, you know, looking uh, like they're in disrepair or that people don't care uh, about their locations. Um, I also want to acknowledge that there are building owners uh, where there are no businesses at all uh, and that the, the, the buildings are, are, are vacant. Uh, and some of them have been in, um, uh, you know, uh, scofflaws, for, for lack of a better word, have, have not been good community partners uh, and have allowed uh, the situation to uh, fester and, and become a, a real big problem uh, for uh, visually, for the, for the community, and, and also just kind of what it conveys about San Francisco. Um, you know, this commission has often talked about the importance of attracting visitors to the city. And, and how important it is that they have a good experience and, and certainly a, vis a good visual experience is part of that as well. Um, so I, I, I wanna understand and, uh, or, or communicate that I understand and, and respect that part of it. Um, there is some natural and implicit tension in bringing this particular legislation before this commission because we did uh, issue a resolution um, and this resolution um, for some context purposes, I, I would like to say that uh, we issued this well into the pandemic, well past the the, the period that um, there was uh, uh, enforced shutdown orders. Uh, and it was in response to uh, business owners that we were getting that were very upset because they were A, under a lot of financial stress, and, and that continues to be the case, particularly with Omicron. Uh, but B, there's also been an uptick in uh, vandalism, um, both graffiti and, and smash windows. Uh, and, and so from the business owner's perspective, I'm, I'm thinking of one email we got in particular, where their windows got broken so many times that their insurance carrier declined to cover them anymore. And so they really had no choice but to board up the windows, which then promptly got tagged. And then they promptly got uh, these notices uh, requiring them to uh, abate the graffiti. And, and then as almost insult to injury on top of that was the administrative costs. And I think for many small businesses, uh, you know, it, it really does feel like that 
they are being penalized for the city's lack of ability to protect them from the vandalism in the first place. And I think it's, you know, looking at this through a different lens, it also a, a, a real concern I have here is, is uh, Commissioner Huey uh, alluded to this and mentioned this, which is that uh, graffiti is not evenly distributed throughout the city. Um, I think that the, the businesses in, in Pacific Heights probably experience less graffiti than the businesses in, in the Mission or, or Bayview. And so I, I think another cause for concern here with reinstit, reinstituting the fines before the emergency is over is that it will be an uh, uneven distribution of businesses that will be paying these fines and that they will be more likely to uh, be in, in these neighborhoods that we're already struggling to begin with. Uh, that's just the nature of where the graffiti is more likely to appear. Um, and so there are some equity concerns about just how uh, a, a blanket reinstitution of fines uh, would, would be rolled out um, I know that the program and, and the legislation has provisions for a waiver, a hardship waiver, but um, as I think uh, Vice President Zunas mentioned, the challenges with a waiver is that A, um, it's not always clear that you can apply for it or where you can apply for it, and then you have to show up for it, and, and what evidence do you need, and how likely is it it'll be approved, and uh, who has the time to do this? And, and frankly, not many of our businesses do. Um, and I, I, I think the overall, <clears throat> certainly you've heard every single commissioner talk about the tone of these notice of violations, which is treating the victim as if they were the offender, um, which I guess seen through one lens, I, arguably they are, but um, in some cases is certainly not uh, or, you know, at least in, in the cases that we're concerned about, the small businesses, certainly not um, intentionally. Uh, and, and so it, it, it becomes just one more cut that's among those thousand cuts that are slicing our businesses to death. And, um, and so I think that we're you know, as, as a commission, we're, we're naturally going to be concerned about reinstituting the fees uh, particularly before the emergency is over, while we're in the midst of a new surge, uh, while we're seeing a lot of businesses that are seeing a dramatic downturn in business, especially over the past couple of weeks. Um, and, and then finally, I, I, I'd be remiss not to note that, uh, you know, after the legislation was uh, introduced, uh, I spoke to our legislative analyst and I, I asked her, I said, well, you know, maybe we should get a better understanding of what other cities do. You know, is is this just how everybody handles blight, or is there uh, a different way of doing things? Now, I, I recognize Lee that you open with this that you're you know rethinking the whole approach to graffiti is not necessarily on the table, but I do think it's worth noting that New York covers the cost of graffiti cleanup. Boston covers the cost of graffiti cleanup. Los Angeles covers the cost of cleanup. Montreal covers the cost of cleanup, excluding the paint. Chicago covers the cost of cleanup. 
Dallas covers the cost of cleanup. And there is something about if the city has an interest in seeing that the graffiti is removed and the city has likewise um, the, the responsibility of making sure that the buildings aren't tagged in the first place, there's something that that sounds, I mean, to me, granted, I'm, I'm a motivated uh, thinker here on, on this issue, but there is something that sounds right about the city uh, picking up the cost. Um, I'll, I'll note that the legislation is currently written does kind of make it seem like the city has more of an interest here in the money than in, in actually just recovering the costs. I mean, uh, 2304 uh, says that the minimum charge for removing graffiti is the greater of either $500 or the actual cost to the city. So if the actual cost is $50, the, the building owner or business is, is charged 500. I, I think this was crafted and contemplated in, in a time when uh, perhaps the, the businesses, you know, the the mo motivation here was to deter businesses from leaving the graffiti being up for, for uh, very long. But we're in a different moment now where we have a lot more uh, vacancies where uh, the small businesses that we have are under a lot of distress, um, where you know, I don't think anybody's going out of business solely and explicitly because of the a notice of violation on graffiti, but it is one more thing that's tagging on that's making things a bit harder. And so um, I guess the the question that I'd have for you um, as as the supervisor is thinking about how we approach this problem, do you think that uh, you know, there are ways that perhaps uh, either A, uh, we could explore carving out uh, businesses that are currently occupied by a small business and, and are open more days than not, or, or finding uh, some way to uh, curtail or lengthen the, the period before these fees start, um, it, it, at least until such point as, as the emergency is, is over. If it, it, B, do you think that um, the supervisor might be open to exploring other uh, options for resolving this that look like uh, other cities like New York and Los Angeles and Boston and, and Dallas, uh, and that we could take a, an, an approach that's less punitive ultimately to the businesses. I understand that the intended target is the business owner, but really, or I'm sorry, the building owner, uh, but it's really the business that winds up. And C, if the answer to A and B is, is really no, um, where do you think there's room for movement here? Um, yeah, uh, thank you, Commission President uh, Laguana. Um, I am not, prepared to answer the breadth of those questions. I think, frankly, the legislation before you is responding to a request from the department that probably originated as a request to many supervisors' offices about unabated graffiti, uh, not necessarily graffiti on buildings that house small businesses, but uh, as, I, I don't know if, if it was you that mentioned it or somebody else that mentioned, you know, vacant buildings that, you know, have graffiti that goes unabated for a long time and aren't, you know, doing their part as community members to do the responsible thing and paint over the graffiti. 
Um, I think that opening up the conversation of how to improve graffiti abatement in San Francisco uh, is a much larger conversation. Um, I would uh, be, I would be happy to read the letter that the Small Business Commission drafted. I just did a quick search, uh, and I don't believe that Supervisor Peskin or myself were ever copied on that. Maybe that's incorrect, or maybe I missed it, but would love to read that letter. Um, frankly, there are other bodies that do uh, engage in these types of deliberations. One of those is the Graffiti Advisory Board. Um, Jimmer has made reference to that. Our office has been thinking about what to do with the Graffiti Advisory Board um, in light of a few uh, specific circumstances, not the least of which is that it has uh, failed to meet quorum by and large over the past three years and that it is sunsetting in March. Uh, and I think that maybe that body needs to be reconfigured and rethought um, so it can provide some of that advice and be something that can consider a programmatic response. In terms of the city's existing programmatic responses, uh, it should be on the record that OEWD uh, did create and put out a vandalism relief grant uh, over the past couple of years uh, that businesses can apply for, that businesses have applied for. Uh, you get $2,000 back, which I guarantee is more than the cost to abate graffiti. Uh, now, if the vandalism was a broken window, that's a different question. Um, the question of, you know, the insurance company's role in this, it, again, I think is far outside the scope of this legislation, though I'm sympathetic to it and frankly don't have a lot of sympathy for insurance providers who stop providing uh, insurance relief. Uh, just because a problem occurs frequently. I think that that is remarkably um, counterintuitive, uh, if not um, just um, profit motivated. So I, that is all to say, uh, uh, Commissioner, that um, you're asking questions that are, are larger than this legislation. I think you're asking questions that uh, a lot of public work staff should be here to respond to and, and are not because it's outside the scope of this legislation. Um, further, uh, and I... I I say this as somebody who works on a shoestring staff here in the supervisor's office. Uh, you know, Public Works is an executive branch department. I would hope that these ideas have also been presented to uh, the mayor's office and the uh, breadth of departments uh, who contribute to uh, policymaking in, uh, under that umbrella. Uh, and to the extent that includes DPH and what Commissioner Zunis was talking about, about different uh, uh, abatement procedures that may conflict with what's in the Public Works Code or may be redundant to what's on the Public Works Code. If that's not state law, if that's DPH, uh, the deemed approved uh, ordinance uh, or, or the deemed approved, um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm forgetting it, but, but um, you know, Again, you know, that's a bigger conversation than this ordinance is providing right now. So um, it, it sounds like maybe the Small Business Commission uh, is interested in holding a, a real proper hearing on that um, and dragging, you know, uh, uh, more department staff uh, who can answer uh, 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 these types of questions. Um, in the meantime, I'm more than happy to review the letter that the Small Business Commission sent. Uh, I can tell you that we're, you know, thinking about what to do with the Graffiti Advisory Board uh, because I think that um, the programmatic responses that you're talking about are going to take uh, a programmatic lift on the city side. Uh, understood and, and appreciated. Uh, just as a point of clarification, it wasn't a letter, it was a resolution. Uh, mm. And the Board of Supervisors were all CC'd as, okay. as they are on any resolution. Uh, and it was uh, to directed at the public uh, 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 department of public works, but 
uh, as a result of, of that resolution, it was Supervisor Ronan who introduced the law waiving the fees for the duration of the emergency. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> I understand that you're responding to both your constituents and, and a request for the uh, from the department. Uh, I, I think the reason I made my suggestions is it's a legislation, it's an ordinance, it's uh, at the supervisor's uh, discretion whether or not they want to, you know, make any other suggestions or changes. And so I was uh, inquiring as to what uh, either you or the supervisor's thinking, uh, you know, was around this. I fully recognize that you have a very small staff um, and that this is just one of many, many issues uh, and, and uh, hard to give it your uh, I, I would not expect or want you to give it your, your undivided attention. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, the reason why we issued that resolution and, and the reason why we voted unanimously in support of Supervisor Ronan's legislation waiving these fees is because we had heard from businesses that were just absolutely beside themselves that they were being tagged with fees while they were barely able to keep their noses above the water. And um, I, 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 I am certainly open to having uh, the commission having a, a larger discussion on uh, how we handle graffiti as general, uh, in general. I, I'm, I'm aware that the graffiti advisory board has not met quorum uh, and, and that seems to be an issue. Uh, I think that uh, I would be delighted, uh, and I'm sure the commission would be delighted to work with the supervisor's office on maybe giving a rethink to this. Uh, and, and perhaps there's a better way that we can move, move forward where it's winner, winner, chicken dinner, and we get both uh, uh, faster ab abatement and it's, it's handled in a, in a way that uh, doesn't hurt our small business community uh, who's already uh, really knocked back on their heels and is still very much on their heels. Um, but, um, I, I, you know, I, it, it sounds, if I'm understanding it correctly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, the legislation is what it is. Uh, you're, you're seeking to re reinstitute the fees. Um, and, and I want to be clear, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Commissioner, but it's not reinstituting fees. Um, and, and I want to dis disabuse this commission of that notion. We are reinstituting the notice of violation process um, from which uh, certain financial penalties can flow. But really, the problem today is that public works cannot send out a notice. They cannot send out a notice to the property owner saying there is graffiti on your property. We have been told that. So even as to vacant properties in our district where there is graffiti and we get complaints about it, Public Works cannot, does not have the legal authority right now to send a, a 30 day notice of violation, uh, which triggers, you know, certain things down the line. But but that notice is typically what is used uh, to alert the property owner yeah, I, to the I, fact so that there's graffiti on the property. And, and I don't mean to interrupt, but certainly I, I don't think the commission would have a problem with reinstating the notice, but in the title of the legislation, it says reinstating the collection of certain assessed fees and fines. 
Right. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to bicker at all, and I, I regret sounding like it, but this is why I said at the outset of my presentation that it would be helpful if the Public Works Code was attached to what is being reinstated. Because if you read Public Works Code Section 2304, uh, 2306, uh, you get a sense of the extensive process that is actually being reinstated. It is not, it's not, it is not a fine or fee uh, until much further down the line if you're not responding to notices of violation, if you haven't applied for a a, a, a hardship hearing or a hearing at all. Um, I think the commissioner, uh, I think Commissioner Zuzunis's comment is particularly well taken that, um, and I think is in the context of this legislation, that the notice of violation should be a friendlier outreach, should match the public works code, should match what the law says, uh, and should be uh, um, a little more friendly and more of an invite to engage in a hearing process as an alternative to, um, you know, whatever the alternative is. If you don't have the funds to abate the graffiti, uh, then you can apply for these different procedures that are provided in the code. Uh, I think it's worth taking a look at the notice of violation very closely um, uh, with a lens toward making sure that this is not uh, an affront to the small business who might be receiving it. Um, Vice President Sassoonis has uh, a question or comment. No, I would, I would just like to say as we're moving towards a conclusion um, of this item, I, I want to defend my, my previous comments. I personally feel like uh, I'm not prepared to vote on a piece of legislation that is um, not addressing duplicative codes that it's uh, that also exist um, for graffiti abatement. So I believe it is relevant um to this conversation to this agenda item um as do i uh believe that um the equity issues that i mentioned and also getting a better sense of how dpw staff i know there's two different bureaus that deal with graffiti right the private property and the parklet so that's what i was trying to get to because in practice dpw staff has a directive that they're um still engaging graffiti on parklets with business owners by calling them as opposed to notices. So there is actual um, a different mo mode of enforcement that's happening right now. And I think that's really relevant to this conversation. Um, and I'm personally not prepared to to um, take, you know, a, a yes position on this, um, although it may seem a very narrow, um, you know, point the attempt to address an issue uh, for me, I believe that um, all the questions raised are relevant to this vote. Okay. Um, well, Lee, I would say, um, you know, as I said at the beginning of my remarks, uh, there was always going to be some tension here between what this legislation is attempting to do and, and how um, how it resonates with this commission and, and, and uh, the resolutions that we've introduced. But um, I don't think that, um, you know, there's any, you know, I, I certainly don't want to bicker or have an extensive back and forth. So um, unless any other commissioners have any other questions, uh, I will check for public comment. Is there any public commenters on the line? There's one caller in the queue. Caller, please proceed. Hi, can you hear me? We sure can. Hi, this is Stephen Cornell from the Council District Merchants and the Pope District Merchants. I want to just um, uh, add to Commissioner Huey and Commissioner Sharkey um, 
every um, lease I've ever dealt with, um, the business owner uh, has the responsibility of cleaning up things like graffiti. Um, it's our responsibility. What might happen in the future is taking um, a, a little softer approach, having two separate notices, one to the business and one to the business, to the property owner who's ultimately responsible. A little softer notice to the business, explaining it all out a little bit would be very helpful. Down the road, um, I think um, the gentleman from Department of Public Works said when they catch graffiti people, a lot of times they have them uh, take care of muni yards and that sort of thing. If the city wants to do something, why don't they take them out to places that need to be painted over and actually clean up the, uh, the small business rather than the city yards? That would be helpful to the um, business owners. And I think it would be a little, a lot more relative that, hey, this is a business, takes the person out there, shows them what's been happened out there. I think that would be a lot, a, a bigger lesson to be learned than sticking them in a muni yard somewhere, uh, painting out uh, muni uh, vehicles. And lastly, in the legislation, one thing that's always bugged me is street graffiti. Every time they're gonna attend to um, dig up something, AT&T, Department of Public Works and such, spray paints the street where their pipes are. And that spray paint is never comes out. Why don't you use some latex paint that can be washed off down the road um, and have the departments be responsible to get rid of it when their job is done? Because that stuff sticks around all the time on sidewalks, on streets, everywhere, and everybody neglects it. And lastly, since I used to be in the business, putting a clear coat of anti-graffiti paint on is a great idea. It's super expensive stuff. Very expensive to put on. Works great, but it's expensive. I appreciate the hearing. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other uh, callers in the queue? There's zero callers in the queue. Got it. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, before we go to a motion, um, did you want to have any additional discussion or any other uh, comments? Okay. Um, I, I, I'm going to move uh, just in light of the commissioner's past resolutions and in light of a sense that there's there's probably better ways to do this. Um, I'm going to move that we do not approve the resolution or approve the legislation. Just to clarify, are you motioning to um, recommend a, I'm trying to word this in, in, in terms of. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure how, how the wording works, so go for it. Okay, recommend um, opposition. I think typically you'd recommend support or opposition. Director, do you want to weigh in on appropriate language here? Yes, hi, Commissioner. So I think um, maybe one alternative based on your discussion here is you could say that um, 
you don't support it as is, but here are a couple of other recommendations that you'd like to see incorporated. And if those are, then the commission could be supportive. I, I like that. Okay. I think that's what I'm trying to do here. Uh, okay. So I, I would, uh, let, let me see if I can phrase that as a motion. Uh, I would move that, um, so first of all, I withdraw the earlier motion. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I would move that the commission uh, does not support the legislation as is, uh, but could support the legislation with the following recommendations. Um, and then we'll attach a letter with the um, recommendations, uh, particularly some of the recommendations that Vice President Zunis made. Okay. Is there a second? I'll second that. Seconded by Commissioner Huey. I will read the roll. This is for a motion to support pending recommendations and amendments. Um, Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Yes. Commissioner Huey. Yes. President Laguana. Yes. Yeah. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. Yes. And Vice President Zazunas. Yes. Yes. Uh, mission motion passes unanimously. All right. Thank you for your time, everyone. Appreciate you coming and presenting. Thanks. Next item, please. Item four, resolution making findings to allow teleconferenced meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. This is a discussion and action item. This is a renewal of uh, the resolution to allow you to keep meeting remotely until February 28th when uh, commissions can return in person. This is a highly controversial item, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, Commissioners, are there any comments or questions? No. Is there any public comment? SFGov TV, is there any public comment? There are no commenters in the queue. Thank you. Seeing none, public comment is cl closed. I move that the resolution be adopted. Move by second. President Sorry, who's second? I'll second it. <laughs> Commissioner Dickerson, thank you. All right, Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Yes. Commissioner Huey. Yes. Yes. President Laguana. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena, I think you might be muted. Okay, I'll, I'll come back to you in a minute. Stepped away. Okay. Uh, Vice President Zazunas. Yes. Yes. All right. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena, are you available or should I say absent? Sorry, sorry. I'm having difficulties here. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. You're I'm being... sorry, it was cutting in and out. I apologize. I was... No, no, don't. That's fine. 
Um, You're being asked. I, to, sorry, go ahead. I apologize, Carrie. Please proceed. Oh, no, no. I was, I'm just recalling roll on the resolution to allow us to continue meeting remotely. Okay, yes. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Wonderful. Next item, please. Item five, resolution affirming the commission's commitment to racial equity in the Office of Small Businesses Programs, Policies, and Services. This is a discussion and action item. Commission will discuss and take possible action on the draft resolution. Commission will also discuss tools, protocols to integrate a racial equity lens into their policymaking procedures and legislative reviews. And presenting, we have Vice President Zizunas. Um, well, thank you, Carrie, and um, thank you to my my fellow commissioners on the Racial Equity Committee for working on this resolution. I hope everybody got to take a look at it before the meeting. It's really, really amazing. Um, I think it's, uh, this is, to, to give you context, this is one of the action items that our commission is responsible um, in, in hitting as part of the city's racial equity mandate. Um, so we are making good progress. And really the intent with this resolution was to um, include some historical processes, you know, that have led to um, economic, economic disenfranchisement of, of, of communities um, and also um, really embed some policy solutions that we've brainstormed as a commission that that we've heard um, through campaigns and initiatives that um, merchant merchant organizations um, are are working on. So this is really meant to be like our our action plan, right? Like what what um, what we're trying to solve for in our in our capacity um, as, a, as a commission and how we can um, create a policy agenda kind of based on um, these markers that we've identified um, in, in the resolution. So I, you know, per our um, director's suggestion, and I think it's a really good tool as, as we um, are a little siloed right now with the racial equity committee separate from the commission because we do have to get through a lot of items and stuff. Um, a way to kind of bring everything back is to create um, a rubric for for our body our body as a whole um, for how we assess legislation through kind of our own racial equity rubric that we create, whether that's a set of questions um, or you know some um, just a checklist of things that we want to review as part of um, legislation that comes across our desk. So that's really what. Um, in addition to introducing the, the draft resolution um, today, we, we wanted to open it up for um, any tools or kind of rubric style questions that we wanna incorporate as part of our racial equity analysis as a commission. So I'll, I'll let um, Director Tang elaborate on that too, if, if she's got a good way to, to lead us into that conversation. I think Vice President Zuzunas, you said it eloquently. Um, it, I couldn't have said it better. So really, I think uh, just thinking through a way to embed um, racial equity lens and a view into all of the work that we do. So it's not just an afterthought. 
Um, so would love for um, this commission to have some discussion um, on that as to how we look at um, policy ideas that come uh, through this commission. Um, okay. Um, commissioners, any comments or, or is that the completion of the presentation? Sorry, I'm a little uh, un unclear if we're at the, the comment. Well, I meant to part. present like the resolution. What's expected of me? I'm sorry. Am I not clear? Yeah, I guess I'm a little unclear too. Um, Do you want to run through it, Carrie? It, I mean, has everybody seen it? Would you like us to run run like line by line? Or do you want to just, yeah, somebody help me I, out here. I can provide a little, I can provide a little background in terms of what the racial equity action plan was looking for. And that's to, uh, to kind of center racial equity within the commission and thus the office's policies and procedures. And, um, you know, we, uh, the committee wanted to add a lot of sort of like historical information specifically related to businesses and how they've been impacted in the past by certain policies. But um, this resolution does that as well as kind of aim like uh, prioritizes racial equity moving forward in, in terms of our programs, how we review policies and, and legislation. And it's sort of a rubric for uh, for moving forward and incorporating this in a more broader, in a more broader way. I'm happy to answer like specific questions if people have them about the resolution, but that's, that's the overarching goal, I would say. Got it. Uh, commissioners, comments, questions, anything, I, you know, we, we can either go through this line by line or um, Commissioner Huey, we'll, we'll let you get this started. Um, well, I, also would like to thank all of my uh, co-commissioners on the creation of this document and Carrie for putting all of this together. This was quite an effort. I mean, if you think about it, like, all, like it was such an open-ended kind of thing in terms of like how to look at racial equity, how to think about it within the context of what we do here on in, um, in the commission or on the commission. And so I think, you know, you guys all did a great job of putting putting it all together so that it kind of you know reads as a historical document as well as like a vision kind of for our commission um one little thing was I was as I was thinking about it I was like this is a really good centering document for any new commissioners or any you know any of us currently on the commission and going forward because I think you know one of the biggest things and with um, my my understanding of racial equity so far and any type of equity is really that if you don't think about it at the time of origination of like idea and it's not incorporated into your kind of core ethos, then it's really hard to find success in adding it in afterwards, you know, because so much of what we do is systemic. And that's, I think what this document really highlights is how, you know, generally the idea of um you know let's say you know things like racism right like those are not things that just kind of like start being added in those were things that started with a certain ethos and came about at a core and it's really hard now for us to like 
pull this whole thing apart. And so I think as we start to look at legislation and as we start to think about, you know, what's existing as well as what's new, you know, having this type of document and having this type of like rubric to, to use, I think will be one step towards hopefully a more, I don't know, um, supportive playing field for our small business community. Um, so that's one thing is, and I did kind of come up with a few, um, a few things that I thought would be um, pieces for like a rubric. I think that's what um, was asked to come up with like some questions as we start to think about legislation. And I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but I know, I mean, going into other pieces of legislation that we've looked at where they continue to prop up things, like let's just say like the last thing that we saw, like where it's propping up, you know, a fee structure or a, a certain way of looking at things. Like I, I think it is our duty and it was really, um, I think it is our, our responsibility to really think about, you know, is this an opportunity to kind of like break that system <laughs> apart a little bit and look at alternatives, like how there are other cities who are not doing the same and do, you know, if we do approve this one thing, this one little thing, because I think it kept being brought back to being like, oh no, this is just one little piece of the, the puzzle. It's like, well, if I continue to approve these little pieces of the puzzle, is this thing just going to go back to the way it was, you know? And so I think that, is one thing that I um, was kind of thinking about. I would like to know when I'm considering legislation, like what does that larger picture look like? What is the opportunity here for me to be able to, you know, how does this fit within a larger, larger systemic picture? Because I don't want to approve stuff and approve ideas that just prop up the status quo and never get to that, you know, end game that we that we're so hoping for. Um, so that's one. Um, another thing I was thinking about was that oftentimes when we hear um, presentations on legislation, you know, we always kind of ask, well, who did you talk to? What was the level of outreach and engagement? I think those are really important. And I think that also means that our commission needs to have an understanding of the scope of and scale of organizations and people within our city and community. And I think we're doing a really good job of that. Of, you know, I think we have a really nice um, blend of commissioners right now who have a really good idea of who's out there. So I think if we continue along those lines, then we kind of know when somebody tells us, oh, well, I talked to this group and that group. And it's like, but you didn't talk to these 20 other people. I think that is an important question to ask. Like, who are you engaging with in order to make decisions about this piece of legislation? Um, second, I don't know, is this too much of a laundry list? Do you want me to take a break? I can just, okay. <laughs> the other piece is also measuring impact. Like, how, how will you be measuring the impact of your decisions, right? Like, how do you measure the impact of this piece of legislation or this program or the service or whatever it is. And I think, is there a mechanism too to make adjustments at a certain point? Because I think what we're seeing with racial equity oftentimes and any type of equity is that there's this 
unintended consequences, right? Like we keep talking about unintended consequences. We did this thing that we thought was going to do a really great thing. And now all this other stuff is happening. And instead of just saying like, oh no, all this other stuff happened, let's just keep moving on. Like this needs to be part of that evaluation and accountability process to say that unintended, uh, unintended consequences will and could happen. So how do we evaluate for that? And then how do we correct for that? You know, because if those unintended consequences weren't intended, then we should have a mechanism to be able to correct for those things. So that's my high in the sky, like dream kind of thing that we can actually not just create legislation and then see what happens. And then somebody else will create another piece of legislation that fixes all this other stuff, but that we ourselves are accountable for what happens and then already proactively think of a way to be able to account for things that could happen down the line. Um, and I think lastly, I have, I would like to also know what is the current, you know, context of which, you know, this, this idea lives, right? Like this solution or this thing, like what is the current contextual situation? Like what, is, what are the pre-existing kind of racial inequities in that either neighborhood or in this population? Who are the, you know, what, what's currently happening and how is this going to affect that particular imbalance already? So I think having an understanding of that, like whether it's a sector-based kind of thing, because we know that many sectors are largely, you know, one group of people at a certain time, and then, you know, then it turns over and becomes something different. If we can have some sort of historical understanding as well as present day context of what that community currently, you know, looks like and struggles with and thinks about, then we can have a better idea of how this piece of legislation might, you know, then tip the scales in one direction or another. So those are my uh, comments. Great. Um, I'm just sitting here read, read, listening to your talk and, and reading through the resolution. Um, and it is not surprisingly very well done. <laughs> Uh, and very well documented, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm very grateful for the the work that you guys have done. I guess the question is, um, uh, you know, you've raised up several questions there, Commissioner Huey, uh, and I guess the question is. Is there, are we expecting more output from this committee or is this resolution the start of the work for the commission um, in terms of implementing what's, what's within the resolution? Or where, where are we at? Uh, perhaps somebody could give me an update in terms of where uh, we're at with respect to the committee's goals for itself. Um, Director, do you have a, a good, I don't know how much you were briefed on like where we are in the action plan. Um, because um, I don't know, maybe you or Carrie can speak to the actual like how many uh, check marks we've made it through and what our list is, but um, we can very easily pull that up as well. Um, as per the city's mandate, we have 
a lot of, of benchmarks that we need to hit. This is just one of them is creating a resolution. All right. Um, in terms of like long-term plan of, of the committee and vis-a-vis -vis the commission, I think that's something that um, we're going to be discussing more as a committee and with the director, you know, how we can um, bring this work more front and center to the full commission. Um, but my immediate response was, the reason why we've been able to get so far so far with this this list is because we have this space um, to just focus on that. Um, so I think based on the determinations of our committee next time we meet and the director and we can kind of do a, a check in with like our progress and what needs to be brought back to the commission before we, um, you know, sunset that committee or something. Um, but I, I don't think we're um, I think we still have some specific things we need to to handle that might not be worth the whole commission's um, time at this point. Like I think we can tee up some more things um, on our on our um, list of action items and and then go from there. Um, in terms of the rubric, I think that was really really helpful, Cynthia. I mean. Um, some things that have come to mind for me, definitely like, um, you know, having some kind of uh, question that we look at when we're looking at legislation that does say, is this affecting a certain sector? Like, does that sector have a certain demographic identity? You know, like, um, is there a certain like license type that also is affiliated um, with a type of regulation? And an you know equity concern. Um, one that I want on there in terms of our rubric questions is not only what is the identity of the business owner, right? We talk about um, you know BIPOC business owners all the time, but what is the socioeconomic demographic that that business serves? I think that is a really important one that helps us stay grounded in terms of you know that we're helping working class. Um, you know, communities um, and businesses that are serving those communities. Like that, I think is foremost for me in this. Um, so those are just kind of examples. I, I hope Cynthia and I got your brain going a little bit as to like what the goal is here, but um, yeah. And, and for sure, like if the commission uh, as a result of this action item wants to bring back specific questions to the committee, I think that that we can, you know, have that this space for that too. So uh, let me just make sure I, I understand this correctly um, as, as just in terms of where we're at. So we, we have this resolution. It's, it's, in my view, very well done. Uh, that's what we are considering today. Uh, then there's an open question about the rubric. That sounds like uh, the discussion on that is ongoing. And then it sounds like there are a number of other checklist items uh, that uh, are still yet to be done, but we're making good progress. Is, 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 did I get all that correctly? Do you want me to just go over just a couple of the um, the action plan items that I think we still have to to incorporate? I don't. I don't think at this time, uh, in, unless okay. uh, you know, because I, I, I think today it's it's about this resolution, and I, I want to keep the scope on on the. 
on the topic at hand. If um, uh, you know, if if the committee would like to make a pr presentation on, you know, the the larger scope, then we could maybe agenda that separately and and have a discussion about that separately. But um, I think for today, it's it's probably helpful to. Um, especially after a lengthy first item uh, to just stay focused on the resolution. Um, so everybody's, you know, presumably, well, I mean, considering most of our remaining commissioners are on the committee, <laughs> uh, presumably have had a chance to read through the resolution. Um, uh, Commissioner uh, Dickerson, I think you're the only one that's not on the committee uh, besides myself. Do you have any uh, questions or, or thoughts about this um, resolution before we uh, go to public comment? Um, I actually was reading through it again today just so I can be refreshed on it. Um, do I have any questions? I don't have any questions. I, I would have to agree. It was very well written. Um, it, it, in, in the view of how I view it, um, uh, No, I don't have any questions and I don't have any concerns about it because it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's needed and it's necessary. I think for me, it's more so with implementation. How are things going to be worked out? How do they manifest? I'm, I'm one, you know, what does it look like? Um, so for me, I sit back, I look at the, the, the reading, uh, I look at the, um, um, you know, the verbiage of it. And I agree with all of it. Yeah. Um, how do we implement this? And this is, that's really what I, my ears are keen to. What yeah. can we do? You know, that's a very thoughtful thing to say. Um, and I had the same thought, right? Um, which is, what does this look like? Um, I don't want to, uh, I guess, get in a discussion about how we implement it, because it seems like to me, like that's, that's not the, the, you know, what's in front of us right now. Um, presumably we'll have another conversation about implementation right now. It's about directionally is, is uh -huh. this, is this, a, no, I'm agreeing with you. Um, I'm, uh -huh. and, and I'm saying, um, you know, you just articulated something that I myself was struggling to like articulate. So like, I, I, I appreciate if, you. If I may say one thing that I think was helpful um, for this question that we did discuss at the Racial Equity Committee um, and really is that um, step from idea to action um, is uh, when we developed the racial, sorry, the economic mitigation working group recommendations, um, uh -huh. which our, our office and commission <laughs> oversaw this working group. It was voted on by the Board of Supervisors, and it was meant to um, try to mitigate or offset some of the unintended consequences of legislation, right, that affected uh -huh. certain demographic communities of small business owners. And I think this is was a really good template for us of how we get issues and ideas into formal recommendations or action plans, right? And so um, we had Carrie bring up that spreadsheet that we created. It's an Excel sheet and um, it has each recommendation and then like 
how they would be implemented, right? Mm -hmm. Is it an RFP? Is it a programmatic thing? Is it a legislative thing? Is it departments can handle this internally, right? And um, it's a really, really good model. I think that we're uh -huh. probably going to use for like, okay, we actually already have a whole bunch of great resolutions that this commission has produced, um, which are like one inch away from becoming policy, right? So like we have a lot of things already um, in the queue that we can put into a spreadsheet, make sure our rubric for, you know, how we um, analyze it and want to implement it hits our racial equity rubric, which is, I'm pretty sure that is also somewhat of one of our action items. Um, uh -huh. And then, and I think if, if Carrie, if you want to send, you know, that template to the full commission, it's just a good visual of how we, we can make policy recommendations based on ideas. I like it. So, um, are th is there any other commissioner uh, questions or comments? Of, of, uh, I just want to make sure I didn't accidentally skip over anybody here or, or anything. Anybody else wanted to bring up? Okay. Um, is there any public commenters on the line? There are zero callers in the queue. Thank you. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, I don't want to put one of the uh, uh, committee members um, in the awkward position of recommending their own uh, resolution. So, uh, Commissioner Dickerson, would you like to make a motion? I'd be happy to make a motion recommending. Uh, how would I say that? Recommending uh, this resolution we adopt yeah. the recommendation. we adopt the right yes exactly <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would be delighted to second it <laughs> so all right commissioners that aren't on the committee <laughs> all right i'll read the roll commissioner dickerson absolutely yes commissioner huey yes president laguana yes Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Zazunas. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Great. Uh, thank you again to all the committee work, work members. I know mm -hmm. that this is just one more job on top of all the other jobs we do. I mean, it's not just one job, but it is another set of responsibilities and you have all been very diligent in executing those responsibilities so mm -hmm. i appreciate all of that work um and it's it's wonderful to see this and i look forward to what you produce next um so with that uh next item please item six approval of draft meeting minutes this is an action item another controversial item on tonight's <laughs> agenda uh, is there any uh, amendments to the minutes? Mm. Is there any public comment on the minutes? Zero callers in the queue. Seeing none, public comment is closed. I move we approve the minutes. I second, second it. Oh. Mm -mm, you can have it. Oops. Who wants the second? 
Seconded by Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. I'll call the roll. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Yes. Commissioner Huey. Yes. President Laguana. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Zizunas. Yes. Motion passes. Wonderful. Next item, please. General public comment. This is a discussion item. Are, are there any members of the public that would like to comment on an item that is not on today's calendar, uh, but uh, uh, they still want to comment on it? <laughs> <laughs> zero callers listening and zero callers in the queue. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item eight, director's report. This is a presentation and discussion item. All right. It's so, all yours. Take it away. Thanks, uh, commissioners. And thank you, of course, to Carrie uh, for all the support, especially for the first meeting. Um, so a couple of just office business to share with you all um, in terms of staffing um, and as it pertains to the permit center. Uh, we are currently in the process of hiring two staff to be physically located at the uh, city's new permit center at 49 South Venice. Um, so it definitely is a welcome addition uh, to supporting the small OSB team uh, to facilitate permitting needs between multiple city departments. So really a new way of doing things. Start out with one person um, who we advocated for previously to help uh, get people through the process of running, uh, starting a restaurant, one of the most complicated uh, businesses you could start in the city and now evolving to OSB having two dedicated staff at the permit center. So really excited about that. And of course, once uh, the decisions are made, we'd be happy to share that with you. And if you haven't toured the permit center um, yet, um, definitely let us know if you're interested because um, it's just uh, amazing that it came to fruition. Um, in terms of the venue fund, um, wanted to share that the application deadline for the second round of grants is January 12th at 5 p.m. And um, Rick has uh, worked with the Entertainment Commission um, to do outreach on this particular grant program. And uh, to note, there were uh, 70 eligible recipients in the first round of grants. All of those are eligible for the second round as well. Um, and then also under Rick, the Legacy Business Program, um, we are in the process uh, very close, uh, really at the tail end of hiring one additional staff to assist with the grant program and especially in the marketing piece um, of that. So um, in terms of upcoming legislation or policy matters before the commission, just to give you a preview of some of the things coming your way um, to think about, um, one is the street vendor regulation. Uh, which you'll be hearing at uh, the next um, commission meeting. And so this is an ordinance uh, that would create a new citywide regulatory program for street and sidewalk vending. And it would require permits to um, vend merchandise, prepackaged food, or both. Um, and then, of course, establish permit fees, et cetera. It would ban vending at United Nations Plaza, except during the farmer's market. Um, as well as other um, enforcement uh, provisions there. Um, the next item that I wanted to bring to your attention, um, this has to do with ADA um, uh, and businesses facing lawsuits around ADA. So there's a resolution that Supervisor Haney um, has introduced. Um, it's been referred to um, 
this commission. However, I know that um, uh, OSB is um, going to be meeting with uh, Supervisor Haney's office and a disability advocates uh, to discuss this further. But essentially, in reviewing this resolution, um, is a rundown of um, some things that have occurred um, in the small business community that you're all very familiar with, um, and and urging uh, basically further action on that. Um, so there'll be more discussion on that piece. Um, legislation that has passed, uh, there was a request for sheriff services um, and to allow sheriffs to provide supplemental law enforcement uh, services to retail and commercial establishments. Uh, in terms of shared spaces um, and the limits on fines, so you've probably all read about this in the news, um, this is the legislation under Supervisor Peskin uh, to extend um, the um, basically the suspension um, until April 1st of 2023, the issuance of fines uh, for violations of shared space uh, requirements, uh, except for physical access requirements for disabilities or first responders. Um, so this was referred to um, the commission, uh, but we're also, um, uh, <coughs> apologies, we're also awaiting um, the mayor's office proposal regarding shared spaces. Um, in terms of third-party food delivery services, um, this is also um, an ordinance from Supervisor Peskin's office, um, and it's to place a cap on the uh, delivery fee or the, the charge um, that these third-party food delivery services can charge to restaurants. So a cap um, up to 15% for online orders and a cap of up to 5% for um, uh, the non-delivery fee, but you order it and you might pick it up uh, in person. So this is um, a TBD in terms of the schedule before, um, before us. And then there's a, a family-friendly workplace ordinance um, sponsored by Supervisor Chan. And um, this is to um, uh, basically uh, allow for employees to have flexible or predictable working arrangements um, unless such an arrangement would cause an employer undue hardship. Um, and I do believe that there was an existing, yes, there was an existing family-friendly ordinance that's on the books. And so this is um, an amendment uh, to that. And it, this is uh, scheduled for our February 14th commission meeting. Um, next one, there is a hearing coming up. Um, I believe this was from Supervisor Safai's office and it's a part two of um, a hearing that uh, he had called initially to understand the economic impact of vacant office buildings in San Francisco. And so calling upon several different um, departments in the city to um, shed light on what has happened specifically in financial districts, Soma uh, and Embarcadero um, due to the shelter in place ordinance that was in place, what private company policies um, you know, in terms of returning to work in person and what those effects are. So we are, again, one of several um, um, departments needing to report on that. So we'll be participating. Um, the public works um, code, uh, the mayor's office is amending that um, to discuss mobile food facility permits. Um, and so um, they uh, want to be able to um, allow the um, that permit fee to be collected in a unified license bill through the tax collector's office um, annually on March 31st. So um, that was just introduced and it'll be scheduled. And then lastly, um, this is uh, something to pay attention to here. 
Um, there is a proposed charter amendment uh, for the June uh, June um, election, and it would change the way that um, nominations are approved for mayoral appointees to commissions. And so um, right now there's a certain process if a mayor, uh, there's actually different processes for different types of commissions. And in, in many cases, if the mayor uh, appoints someone to a commission, um, then uh, they um, uh, they are notified. The board of supervisors is notified, and if there's no action after 30 days, then it's just um, automatically approved. Unless so, unless someone at the board decides to um, you know invoke a hearing, it's approved. Um, this new proposal uh, would say that for a mayoral nomination uh, made after June 7, uh, 2022 that they would be subject to approval by the Board of Supervisors and shall be subject to a public hearing and vote within 60 days. Um, and then if the board fails to act on nomination within 60 days, um, then the nominee shall be deemed approved. Um, and then there's another provision in there about um, department heads and what the city administrator's office is able to do in terms of recommending um, nominees uh, or potential removal of department heads. So that was a ballot measure, I think, proposed by um, Supervisor Chan and a couple of the supervisors um, co-sponsored it and was introduced last week. So definitely wanted to flag that one uh, for you all. So that's it for the uh, report for this week. Happy to answer any questions. Great. <clears throat> um... Commissioners, any questions? Starting to slouch in my chair. It's a long day. <laughs> uh, Director, I'm I'm still processing a, a bunch of different things simultaneously. Um, I don't have any questions right at this moment, but I'm sure I will um, shortly. Uh, certainly, uh, a lot of that upcoming legislation is of great interest or I expect will be of great interest to uh, the commission. Um, sounds like you're off to a rip-roaring start. So uh, congratulations on that. And uh, unless any of my commissioners have any questions or comments, we will, uh, my fellow commissioners, not my personal commissioners, but um, uh, unless they have uh, any uh, questions or comments, I think we'll check with personal, uh, with public comment is there any public commenters on the line there are zero callers in the queue okay seeing none public comment is closed next item all right item nine commissioner comments and questions and new business this is a discussion item commissioners any new business Commissioner Huey. Hi. Um, let's see. So I think prior to the holidays, we had held, uh, we had a um, meeting. I, I don't know if I shared this already, but we had a meeting in the Richmond district around ADA issues, and we had a nice uh, kind of diverse panel. Um, I got really good feedback from people in regards to um, you know, just bringing that type of like Q&A type of situation back into the Richmond. I know a lot of people had experienced it in the past and it just seems like something that, um, you know, there were, 
it, it was a little bit of a different conversation than in the past. So I think I'm excited to have new materials. I know, um, you know, I worked with Rhea to kind of develop some new um, materials to be able to bring forth to um, business owners and to just kind of revisit that conversation and hopefully set a more progressive, positive kind of tone to, you know, making improvements and hopefully, um, you know, making our businesses more accessible and being able to peel apart a lot of the different things that are happening, like within this umbrella of ADA kind of stuff. So um, I'm excited to work on that um, ongoing. Um, I just wanted to note that I think the Arts Commission had recently has recently put out um, like grants um, for a bunch of different items. So there's some for districts as well as some citywide grants. So and many of them are in partnership kind of with like merchant communities and you know um, neighborhood activation type things. And so I just encourage everybody to take a look to see if um, there might be something there that could really support some type of neighborhood activation, especially like something, I know there are efforts to put together art walks and things like that. So um, I guess I encourage all the neighborhood corridors to take a look and see if um, something there might apply and might be good seed money for, you know, those future projects. Um, the, oh, I also wanted to thank OEWD for so much support in our neighborhood in the Richmond district, like uh, over the holidays, I think throughout the city, there were a lot of different things that happened in the city that I thought was really cool because it was a, a little bit of a challenging holiday <laughs> month and season. And, and um, you know, knowing, I think that it was just, I don't even know how to describe this past winter season. It's still gone, <laughs> but I do appreciate all of the efforts to do some really creative things and to put effort into our neighborhood corridors because I think that brought about a lot of joy. So um, that was a feedback that I got from, um, from the neighborhoods that I'm involved in. Um, and then also, I don't know if this is considered new business. It's a little bit of old business, but I wanted to also revisit how before pandemic, um, right as I had started on this commission, we had the hearing with the delivery companies. And um, I think the scope of all of that obviously changed during this last couple of years. But I think some of the issues that we had brought up and we had kind of unearthed at that time are still present, right? Like we still, we're still talking about the delivery cap kind of thing, but there were all these other um, gaps that we noticed. And I feel like that is a conversation that we should continue and, um, and revisit and see if we can't make some headway into, you know, what that relationship will look like in the future. And I think that would be, you know, a really, um, important thing for, for the residents of the city, right, who are now more dependent on the service, perhaps. So um, those were my new and old business items. So thank you. Great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think we could or uh, should take <coughs> another look at uh, uh, the whole uh, ghost kitchen uh, aspect here. I know that's something that Commissioner Ortiz-Cartagena also had a, a lot of 
um, interest in. Um, probably worth checking in and, and seeing where we are on that. Um, I feel like there was another tertiary related issue that came up recently. Can't quite remember what it was, but it was um, uh, along those lines, probably uh, around the, the mobile food stuff, but uh, Vice President Suzunas, please. Thank you, President Liguana. Um, that did remind me of um, something that we've weighed in on as a commission before the taxi medallion uh, situation vis-a-vis -vis the city's role. Um, we had sent a letter to MTA from, from, from our commission. Um, I know that there's some recent events regarding the taxis, so I think it might be relevant for us to get an update on that um, since. Which which tax fees are these? Sorry. Um, ta taxi drivers. Oh, taxi, taxi fees. Oh. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is um, taxi is one example. We've, we've written, like I said, a letter to MTA. So any follow up on, on that topic, I think is relevant to us. Um, and the uh, third party delivery brought up for me also the independent contractors that are drivers. Um, that is a data point that our commission has been trying to think about better um, helping the city collect, you know, who are independent contractors um, and sole proprietors, like catching that data. Um, and, and so, um, I mean, uh, in my experience working with the federal government in the last year, like those are the people that have been like challenge the most in receiving aid. Um, so I think that that is a small business demographic that we, um, visa, via the taxis and maybe some of the gig drivers, we, we um, discuss how, how we wanna ap approach this as a commission, but I, I wanted to note it because it is something we've discussed before. Okay. Um, is, are, are you aware of anything that's pending that we could hook into on that, you know, or, or, or? There's been, there's been some action regarding the taxis in the last couple of weeks. Um, and like I said, if, if not everybody on the commission had seen the letter that we had sent to MTA about the taxis, maybe we, we uh, redistribute that and um, see if MTA has any newer updates for us based on our line of questions that we asked them in that letter. Um, so that was that action item. And then um, I think the, the second one about how do we help the city track um, 1099s, you know, independent contractors, if that's um, maybe something that direct, you know, Director Tang and Regina had touched base on, I'm not sure, but I don't have a specific ask there. Just for us, I'm encouraging us to consider that as part of our um, look at the gig economy. The gift economy. We do know that the oh, city gig did, economy. Sorry. Right? Yeah, the gig I'm economy. hard of hearing today for some reason. Well, we did. The only data we've gotten on that was um, actually our office had really good data when the city first uh, required TNC drivers to register business licenses. Like we had demographic data. Like we know which communities were driving based on the language intake. And like I just, we never did anything with that data. 
And I think now as we look and we see so many businesses that are opening as sole proprietors and independent contractors and the gig economy, like I think that's just something we need to think about um, reapproaching re and making what, you know, an action around what we want to do or learn. Okay. Great. Um, okay, is that it? And anything else? Hmm. Um, so commissioners, this is the first time I've seen you. I uh, wanted to uh, relay what an excellent party it was that CDMA threw uh, at uh, uh, that our, our former director, Regina Dickendrizi was uh, celebrated at. Uh, it was very uh, touching, or maybe I did see you guys after it. No, it's all kind of bleeding together. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're really going to have to pay very close attention uh, yet again, uh, to, um, the personal services and the restaurant industry, uh, because of everything that's happening with Omicron. Um, I, I was saying today to some friends that if, if, if there was, the least bad time for it to happen would be the first two weeks of January. So, you know, it's never a good time for this stuff, but that's maybe, I, I mean, it's probably not true for the gyms. Maybe the first two weeks of January are the best uh, two weeks of the year, but um, for, uh, with all the resolutions and everything, but uh, with, uh, for, uh, you know, the tourism industry for, uh, you know, I think a lot of uh, restaurants and, and folks that are, are connecting on gatherings, like, you know, I know in my business that historically the first two weeks of January are the slowest time of the year. So um, that is, you know, a, a it's not as bad as it could be. I'm, I'm a look at the glass half full kind of person. Uh, but I think that um, nonetheless, as a result of the impact of Omicron um, and uh, I think a, a concern out there that the next two to three weeks is things are, are more likely to get worse than they are to get better. Uh, we should, as a commission, start um, actively thinking about what are some of the things that we can do to uh, help these businesses get through it and uh, what are some of the tools that we have in our toolbox uh, to help um, encourage our policymakers to help them get through it? Uh, so uh, I just kind of want to put that on everybody's radar that I know many of us are kind of mentally done with the pandemic. Um, I know I am. Um, I will share uh, with the commission that I had COVID over the New Year's break. That was fun. Uh, but, uh, and, and so did the family, uh, but recovered, uh, quite quickly thanks to vaccinations. So, uh, everybody out there get vaccinated, uh, cause it, it really wasn't that big a deal. I'd, I'd say every flu I've ever had was worse, um, uh, than that. It was, it was not a, a, a big deal, but, uh, obviously we're seeing different outcomes elsewhere where vaccinations are not as, uh, prevalent. And so, and we still have Delta out there doing its thing. Um, so 
I don't I don't know that there's a, a strong uh, nexus there for the commission to get involved in, but certainly I think it benefits the small business community environment to uh, do what we can to further the vaccination progress. I mean, San Francisco's done very well, but there's still, I think, uh, close to 20% that are still completely unvaccinated. Is, is that correct, Director, somewhere around there? I have tried to ignore that data page for a while to, take, to rest my brain, but I will look it up. <laughs> Unfortunately, it remains salient. Uh, so, uh, yeah, at any rate. Uh, so, um, I think uh, that's it for me. I don't see any other commissioners uh, bringing anything up. So, uh, with that, uh, we'll check in and see if there's any public comment. There are zero callers in the queue. All right, seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item 10, adjournment. This is an action item. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. We will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco, and that the Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. Carrie, I believe you. Uh... Is there a motion to adjourn? I move. Seconded. Moved by Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena, seconded by President Laguana. Uh, Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Huey. Yes. President Laguana. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. Vice President Zazunas. Yes. Yes. Uh, motion passes. Meeting is adjourned at 655. Thanks, Thanks everybody. everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody. Have a good night. Congratulations. Good night. Good night. First.